This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Richard and Brandy with you on a Tuesday morning, the 30th of January. A Tuesday which brought us a new business district, this time in Ras Al Khaimah. Huge plans for towers, for apartments and for a financial centre. Uh, we've been discussing it with Anthony Payet. He's sales and leasing director for Vibe Real Estate in RAC. We've also... Fortunately, had the CEO of Rackbank on this morning, Rahil Ahmed. He's been telling us about the demand for business facilities in Rack, as well as just going through the small matter of their record earnings. We've also been speaking to a man about a very big boat. Mohammed Saeed is Managing Director for the Middle East at Royal Caribbean Group. They have just launched the world's largest cruise ship in Miami, and Mohammed was there. And we've been speaking to a man about a very large cup. He is Aidan Romanis, Managing Director of Ramrod General Trading. They are the distributor in this region for Stanley. Stanley, of course, the people behind the giant adventure quencher that's gone viral on TikTok. We had a chat to him about local demand. Where we have had a surprising focus on the Northern Emirates this morning. Right, so is Razzle Khaimah the new CBD? Is it the new uh, downtown Dallas stroke Sydney stroke New York? What do you think? Or second city? Look, this is a bold development from Ras Al Khaimah. We're used to them launching fancy hotels of various hues by the beach, and they've done it very well. We're used to them taking the mountains and making that into the world's biggest zip line and assorted outdoor adventure stuff as well. They've done that well. They've done manufacturing and industry well. We've mentioned, I have mentioned, rack ceramics and their toilets many times helping people go to the lavatory the world over. What they haven't... I tried re- to bring it around to crockery, by the way. I'm still banging on with the urinals, if you'll pardon the expression. Uh, but they've done really, really well with things like this. What they've never really had, though, is a thriving commercial zone, a, a central business district. And given all of those, just the demand from all those companies for clerical, administrative, professional services, head office type jobs, you need a good place for all that to happen. Because all those businesses have got... a a firm of lawyers, they've got a firm of accountants, they've got a, a marketing consultancy, they've got a management consultancy, they need travel agents, back office functions. So you need simply from the, the demand for that kind of work that Russell Kamer's other industries are generating, you need to have that. I get that. Is it the new Wall Street? It seems inconceivable to me, and I know people will have said that about Singapore back in the 1960s. This is a laughable idea, and lo and behold, it did happen, and people said that about Jebel Ali Port, and I get all that. But I see this as a much-needed commercial district to serve Ras al and perhaps some peripheral economies as well. I don't see it as a global or even regional commercial centre. That's not a criticism. It's just an observation. What's the Brandy Scott take on this? You've been speaking to people in the industry who haven't been massively forthcoming. They've shared a few bits and pieces. 
what can you share and what can't you share? Right. So we're going to hear in a moment um, from someone who is selling residential property in Razel Khaimra about what he's seen in demand in the last year and what this could mean. Because we're adding 4,000 apartments here. We're also adding 3 million square foot of rentable office space, which has been pointed out to me, is between two and three Dubai malls. My head can't do that kind of maths. But that is um, a lot of, well, we've got 34 freehold residential tower plots for purchase and developers um, that could be about 45 floors each. So it's a lot of space, whether you're talking apartments or whether you are talking um, offices. One million square foot of it um, would be commercial office space for rent, um, additional spaces offered for development. Uh, There's a lot in there. And three hotels. Now, we all love a rack hotel. Will we get the businesses in? That's one of the questions that we're asking this morning. Also, um, having a look at what it will mean for people's opportunity to move to Ras al-Khaimah. One man who has been very happily riding a bit of a Ras al-Khaimah rave is... Anthony Payet. He's a sales and leasing director for Vibe Real Estate in Razel Kaima. He sells property in Rack and Umul Quain. And we asked him, okay, we're adding 4,000 uh, units here, 4,000 flats, apartments. What's the apartment scene already like in Rack at the moment? The apartment scene in Rack is in high demand, um, especially for people who are doing like short-term lettings, B&B. But what's going to happen and why Rack Central has been very smart about doing this is they are going to have the business hub, but these 4,000 apartments are essentially going to be for their investors. So whoever's setting up their business there will have the opportunity to own one of those apartments freehold also and uh, have the royalty of just walking five minutes to to work and also to the beach. Which I like, the walkable work commute. What kind of stock then does Rack have at the moment? If you are a professional um, or even someone looking for a holiday house, can you find somewhere to live? It all depends on the profile of the person. You know, usually the solo and young couples are looking for the apartment, um, apartments that maybe have uh, good facilities such as the gym, the beach, place to relax, some some sports leisure. Um, but you also have the family members who do require the townhouse and villas. And uh, that's definitely what's in high demand at the moment. And who's buying it? Um, I get a lot of uh, pilots from Dubai um, purely because they don't commute to work on a daily basis. They may be doing two or three flights a week. Um, they love the coastal life. They love the simplicity of rack. There's no traffic. Um, so they really don't mind commuting when they do have to go to work. 45 minutes to 50 minutes. Which, when you think about it, I feel at the moment, Rich, like we've got an awful lot of normalization going on. Um, you know, traffic at the moment, obviously, hot button topic. But if I think of other places that I have commuted in the world, You'd be on a train for an hour. Um, I used to commute between Bournemouth and Southampton. It was what you did. You hoped someone would even leave an evening standard on the seat on the way home, give you something new to read that you hadn't read that morning. Um, could it become normal here? To do that level of commute? Well, you would need the rail service for starts. You would. Uh, again, Russell Kamer as a daily commute destination is going to be very much the exception rather than the rule. People... We know that there's been an element of that people living in Sharjah and commuting to Dubai for an awfully long time now. And to an extent that will continue. But that is in itself quite the journey at the moment. 
you can't build enough roads to accommodate that traffic. And of course, what all cities are trying to do and what Dubai is trying to do is to, as you mentioned, have people live and work close to where they are. We were down at Expo City yesterday. Their new development is Sky Residences. And part of the marketing blurb there is the 15 minute life. Every, where you work, where you play and where you rest are within 15 minutes of each other. Surely that's the way the wind is blowing rather than living in Ras Al Khaimah and working in Jebel Ali. But living in Ras Al Khaimah and working in Jebel Ali would actually be the way the world has always worked. I mean, I feel like we have lived in a bit of a bubble in terms of expecting to live in one part of town, go out for dinner in a another part of town um, and then go out afterwards in a completely another part of town treating the the city as though it was a a village, which we always have. That doesn't happen anywhere else in the city. Of course, one of the things we asked Anthony this morning, the extra demand that he's seen over the last year for various reasons, what's it all meant for prices? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's that's definitely made the prices go up and up and up. Obviously, the more demand there is and, and the less supply there is, it does affect the prices in a way that the prices will continue to rise. Um, and with the more facilities and attractions in the area, the prices will continue to rise, in my opinion. Yeah, and he's seen some villa prices double. Richard's big question this morning, it's the one I know you're all thinking about, not about the traffic, not about the commute. What's going to be the Zuma of Rex Financial District? Uh, you're going to have lots to, to choose from. I mean, Margin Island, they're launching Nikki Beach, uh, Nobu Residence and Hotel, Ellington, the address by EMAR. So there's just going to be so many options to choose for. And even the, the district rec central, they haven't announced what's coming there, but I'm sure it's going to be something exciting. The Wasabi Wars. <laughs> Nobu versus Zuma in the financial districts. You heard it here first. Leave no dragon roll behind. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Bank earnings season. Rahil Ahmed is the CEO of Rack Bank with us in the studio. Morning, Rahil. Pleasure to be with you, Richard. Good set of numbers for the industry sector, including for you. Yesterday's we just mentioned in the headlines, 53% increase in annual profit to a record 1.8 billion dirhams. How? So uh, I, I keep repeating myself, but mixed macro momentum for us. Uh, we, we have really focused on customer value added services and deepening relationships. Uh, we have also gone through the full spectrum all the way from microfinance, which we started recently for the financially excluded sector, to growing our corporate bank. So the corporate bank now, while we are known as an SME bank, now represents 28% of our loans and advances. But a lot of our growth has also come from deposits, from fee, from FX, from remittances. So we haven't uh, gone the route of just uh, overfilling ourselves with lending and growth in that perspective. We have tried to keep our growth very well balanced. The second thing I would say to you is also if you look at our quarter four momentum, you will see that our deposits have grown by 4% uh, from the last quarter and our assets have grown by 2%. So we are continuing with quarter four momentum as well and hopefully starting the year on a pretty strong footing as well. If we look at the banking sector more broadly, clearly the numbers for net (coughs) profit, the headline numbers, have been stellar so far for the UAE banking sector. Mashrek Brandy mentioned numbers out yesterday, more than 100% increase in profitability. Also, little banks like National Bank of Amal Quain, they're reporting record profit, the rising tide lifting all boats. But you say, to find out what's really happening underneath the banks to look at not the net profit number, but the operating profit number. Explain why that's important and what it tells us. 
Yeah, so uh, your operating profit is naturally your pre-provision uh, number, right? So it's your income minus cost. We have been very good. Uh, our, for every dollar we spent, we got $6 of revenue back or six dollars of revenue back. So our, our leverage is six times on every cost we spend. Uh, our operating profits are up 43% before provisioning. Now, when you look at provisioning, you will see some banks have increased provisioning, some banks have reduced provisioning. Again, that depends on what was their historical portfolio like, you know, how much provisions they uh, took during COVID, what type of portfolio they had. So based on that, the net profit could go up or down uh, depending on how much provisions you release as well. So we focus a lot, of course, we build provisions as you keep saying, and I think you said it yesterday as well, uh, bad loans are done in good time. So you always need to be cautious uh, that you know at some point you will see this benign credit environment slightly changing. Uh, I don't think we'll go into a correction, but of course we will see some softness at some point in time. So we remain very cautious and we've actually built up our provisions and we have one of the highest provision coverage ratios in the industry as well. Net interest income was up for you and other banks as well. Rising interest rates last year tends to help banks' profitability. But yet we're going to be, we think, in a shrinking interest rate environment this year. The Fed, everyone expects them to cut interest rates this year. The debate is how much and when, not whether they're going to cut interest rates. How will that impact? Yeah, so it will definitely, there is absolutely has been a tailwind for all the banks. You see the net interest income rising. So as rates come down, it will also depend on the sustainability of your earnings, the diversity of your earnings. I think everybody, every bank will feel the impact of rates coming down. But if you look at our non-interest income, it grew by 18%. Our deposits, our CASA ratios are up at 66-67%. Coming back to SMEs, we opened 15,000 accounts. And one thing I was very pleased with was that almost 18% of the new SME accounts we opened were female entrepreneurs, which is something we haven't talked about in the past, but we had 2,700 female-led SME new accounts that we opened, which, which, which I think is a really good trend, increasing, uh, perhaps still not where it needs to be, but we opened 18% female entrepreneurs as well. Uh, Raheel, how does those new SME accounts and indeed your new mm-hmm. customers in general compare to the, the big spikes that we saw population-wise in 2022 and arguably 2021? What's that graph looking like? Well, I think uh, pretty diversified, I would say. Uh, I, we still feel like, yes, there is population growth. I think a lot more younger people are exploring with businesses much earlier in, our, in their careers. I think when, you know, when we were growing up or when we, we started our professional life, you would wait 10, 15, 20 years mm-hmm. before you jumped into something of your own. I think the younger generation is much more uh, sort of uh, not risk takers, but more confident of themselves to start new ideas. So you see a lot younger business people and a lot younger businesses starting as well. And what are you seeing in new customers in in general, new individual customers? What kind of uptick did you see in 2023? So we are up uh, net around 7%. So we added around 40,000 net new accounts. Uh, As I mentioned to you uh, when we last spoke as well, we look at engaged customers. In a digital world, you can open millions of accounts, right? How many of them actually bank with you, make a bill payment, make a remittance, keep get their salary in. And we are very, very focused on ensuring that we get engaged customers. Do you know what percentage of that are new residents to the UAE? Could you put a ballpark on it? I, I wouldn't have the exact number, but I would say that almost 50% of them would be new customers. And as I mentioned on the SME side, 70% of the SME accounts we have opened are businesses with which have been established less than one year in the UAE.
Let's talk about Rasselkeber's new financial district, which was unveiled yesterday by the developer Marjan. You're not directly involved in that. Marjan is a, is a private company. But we can't let a new financial district be announced in Rasselkeber without speaking to the CEO of the biggest <laughs> bank in Rasselkeber about it. Why does RAC need your financial centre? I think uh, it's uh, it's a great place to be. I was I was there, you know, at the Russell Khema Championships, playing a little bit of golf uh, over the weekend, and it has a very different vibe. So I think uh, you were saying as well. So the New Jersey to New York, the 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 you know the Silicon Valley to San Francisco. I think there is space for different types of centers across the UAE. The whole UAE is doing very very well, and RAC is doing extremely well in terms of attracting businesses. Right. So we saw our rack free zone uh, accounts increasing by almost 500 versus last year in terms of the number of accounts we opened so my sense is you will see more diversity i think there's a lot of companies that we shouldn't just compare it to dubai or abu dhabi there could be international companies that want to be based there where you know you don't need to go to work every day so so uh, you know uh, if you asked 20 years ago about dubai or abu dhabi you would most probably also be a bit skeptical but they've all worked and they've all worked brilliantly so so why not rasal khaima and what about those companies in rasal khaima because looking at the at the artist impressions yeah you've got the beach and the golf course on one side but behind the financial district is the industrial area I was mentioning earlier i said if you go to the toilet today it may well be provided by Rack Ceramics, when you go to the toilet today, rather than if. But it's companies like that, some of which have been around for 20 years. You've got Jill Farr, the pharmaceutical company. I mean, we could go on. Yeah. And and there are more and more new companies coming as well. So as the ecosystem I- increases, you need more accountants, you need more marketing companies, you need more financing companies. So you will, you are already seeing a lot of interest in Russell Khema. Uh, you are seeing new companies being set up directly from the outside. And I think that ecosystem needs a, uh, needs a hub where it sort of comes together. And just like the industrial hub or the, or the, or the hospitality hub, it, I don't think there's any harm in having a central business hub as well. I think it'll, it'll do very well. 20 seconds left. CEO of a bank, what keeps you up at night for 2024? I think one is the number of rate cuts by the Fed. Uh, we hope that you know the hawkish uh, views of six or eight rate cuts don't happen because they'll have an impact on the bank. Uh, but uh, naturally, the geopolitical tensions are also a worry. Uh, the UAE is a safe haven; it does very well, and you know it's 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 sort of the oasis of stability. But clearly, the region is is not in a very good situation right now. Rahil, great talk to you. Appreciate your time this morning, Rahil Ahmed, CEO of Rack Bank. Thanks for coming. Pleasure. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. We're now going to talk about the business of cruise ships. It's not a boat we're talking about, though. My next guest has very firmly reminded me that she is a ship. The world's largest cruise ship, in fact. The $2 billion icon of the seas from Royal Caribbean, which set sail this weekend. This man was on it. Uh, we are joined fresh off the boat by Mohammed Saeed. He is the Mini- Middle East Managing Director for the Cruise Line Company. Mohammed, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And you were there in Miami as she set sail. What was the atmosphere like? Uh, it's a brilliant atmosphere. It's been a remarkable weekend uh, while we were at the naming ceremony. Lots of events, overwhelming. Um, the the new partnership of Inter Miami and uh, Messi being named the Godfather and uh, naming the basically christening and bestowing safe upon her. 
And so a uh, lot going on. How quickly did the tickets for this maiden voyage sell? Uh, well, let's just say the, the highest category suite, which goes for about $80,000, and the three-bedroom uh, townhouse is sold out uh, for the entire year of 2024. No way. Did we see much interest from this region? Uh, we have. We have grown. Uh, and I mean, it's been only three weeks uh, in January, but uh, we've seen about 18% jump uh, for US and primarily driven by the uh, icon demand. Okay. Are there any Gulf passengers on this maiden voyage? Do you know? Uh, at this time, yes. And on our 27th, yes, I do have uh, Middle East passengers as well as on the 3rd. And uh, and then we're expecting a lot in the summer. Okay, give us the sales pitch then. What makes this boat ship ship so great, other than just her size? Well, I think it's 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 the um, the cruise line's uh, direction this time was to uh, build a city at sea and a resort destination, which is for which basically meets the demand of family vacations, multi generational vacations. Uh, 40 more than 40 outlets, bars and 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 and, and restaurants, uh, seven eight pools as you mentioned, whirlpools, uh, sports activities, uh, three Broadway like shows, and uh, so and more, much much more. And of course, three days is not enough. I don't think seven days is enough. So, critics though, there's been some controversy around her fuel, the decision to use LNG. Explain to me why you made that decision. I think the I think the company's um, directions on LNG is to continue on its message on sustainability, being uh, the cleanest and safest marine fuel. Uh, now, LNG is available for them in the U.S. and that makes it uh, makes it more safer and meets the demand and the requirement. But uh, we don't know what's the future like uh, if they're going to continue with LNG or not. Yeah, because there is concern. Um, LNG uh, can create methane, obviously, with the concern of methane leaks. It's quite a potent um, uh, climate change gas. Can you guys guarantee against those leaks not happening? What's yes, the we have a waste heat capture mechanism as well. And there's actually an, uh, an air lubrication system which creates microscopic bubbles coating the ships. Uh, so anything that is heat produced or anything that is... Uh, um, let's just say gas produced that gets actually harnessed and turns into vapor and then it uses it re- being reused on the ship to reduce its friction crossing those seas. Okay, so are you saying there won't be any methane leaks? At this time, no. So the ship is in the Caribbean at the moment. What would need to happen, demand-wise or infrastructure-wise, to bring your larger ships to Dubai or Abu Dhabi? Well, so many things, so many factors. Um, I mean, the destination itself uh, needs to be able to accommodate. Uh, good news about Dubai and Abu Dhabi. They are the, uh, the two uh, ports that can meet the depth and accommodating bunkering for these ships uh, because they have in the past when we had Oasis-class ships come through here. Uh, but then other factors comes into play, which is full destination accommodating 7,000 passengers every week, uh, tourism, uh, demand, etc. So at this time, the U.S. is the highest, as well as, as it accommodates about 50% of the cruise demand. So it will, she will be staying in the U.S. And LNG, unfortunately, is not available in Europe. or Well, it's available in Europe. It's just not affordable. What are you seeing in terms of interest for, for cruising here? 
the cruise locally has been had grown uh, 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 drastically, and I mean. Saudi Arabia's investment has been heavy and has been has been uh, marked footprint with Cruise Saudi. Um, the UAE as well has, has been hosting uh, other cruise lines uh, on the winter deployment. So um, and we've seen we've seen that growth coming into uh, foreigners coming into the region rather than Middle East guests traveling within the Middle East. What will grow it further? What's the next step? Uh, uh, I think is just um, creating more programs for uh, accommodate. I mean, there's so many, so many that comes into play. Creating more programs for, to to bring in a higher, I mean, more audience. And I think we need to attract the requirement for the U.S. market. That is the game changer because they ask the highest demand. Talk to me about um, what the uh, the Red Sea crisis has meant for for your cruises and for cruises in this region. Well, we don't have any brands uh, currently in the region, but uh, other brands, uh, unfortunately, as well. Yeah, they had to cancel deployment as safety is the primary for every cruise line, and uh, so and the geopolitical situation obviously it's not the greatest for the current region. And uh, that affects uh, deployments, that affects uh, bottom line for cruise lines because they, are f- they forecast deployments two years ahead. So when things change all of a sudden, uh, it's, it's not the greatest. So how big can these boats get? We've got Icon of the Seas. She's half the height of the Burj Khalifa. Does that top out or is there still room for, for bigger boats? Ships. Well, a lot of people are actually asking for smaller ships. They they feel that smaller ships. That's that's the kind of overall consensus. But it, it just it just came out to the directions of creating that city at sea with more availability. Because uh, if the capacity on this on the icon, surprisingly, it's actually almost the same as our Oasis class ship, which is smaller. So it's now more space, allowing the passengers to roam freely across the eight neighborhood rather than getting any clustering. But uh, I think she's big enough. So this is my own personal opinion. I think we should stick with it. Mohamed Saeed is the Middle East Managing Director for Royal Caribbean. He's fresh off a plane from Miami where he has been there um, for the inaugural launch of what is now the world's largest cruise ship, the $2 billion icon of the seas. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. We are also talking about a valuable commodity coming on ships that everyone wants to get their hands on. I got the strike in my car. And quite a cup it is too. The Stanley Cup viral on TikTok, emptying target aisles in the US. There's Tumblr heists, there's overnight queues. It's about to be formally launched in stores here. It's already online. What are we seeing? Aidan Romanis is the managing director of Ramrod General Trading. They are the official distributor for the Stanley Cup here in the region. He joins us in the studio. And if you are watching on television, you will see that he is surrounded by adventure quenchers. Good morning, Aidan. It's nice to meet you. Good morning and uh, thank you for having us. Uh, Very excited for this. Right. So, Adventure Quencher Madness. You've been selling them online for a month, and I know that Amazon and others have got them too. What have we already seen? 
So from our side, we've been tracking it um, coming in the, the trend from America, and it's just been absolutely chaos, and it's filtered in through to Europe, and it's finally here in um, the UAE. We're just seeing traction on our website where it's been it's crashed overnight, and we've had to um, build it up, and this, the demand for this product has just been through the roof, and um, sell-through has been absolutely amazing. Can you give me any percentage figures, any rough figures? And I know that for you, officially, yes. it's just online at the moment, but, but where are we? Okay, so from our side, um, we're talking a couple of thousands uh, in each color. I think we've gone with uh, four colors to launch. Um, in the next two months, we've got uh, over 40-foot containers of these uh, products coming in with different colors, and that's the whole trend at the moment. Um, online, in the likes of Amazon, the numbers up to sixteen to 20,000 pieces have already entered the market from the global store. Okay, and you're going to be taking them into stores when? So we're going to do an official launch. Um, one of our partners, Virgin, is going to kick off with them. Um, they've been a partner of ours for the last eight years and do a fantastic job of merchandising and uh, telling the Stanley story. So that's where we're going with, and then through to other exclusive distribute, uh, retailers. When will people be able to literally walk in and get one? So we, we're aiming for the end of February that it'll be in stores. How are they going to be priced here? So... We're looking at keeping price points similar to that of Europe. So we'll be looking at price points between 200 and 250 dirham. Okay, because they're about 45 bucks in the US. Yes. So the difference between um, the US and um, the likes of Europe and um, the UAE is also just the duty and import costs, etc. into into the region. And and margin expectations from retailers in the UAE itself. Right. So that explains why it's a little bit more expensive here. Will we be getting the limited editions and the collabs that have caused so much craziness in the US? Definitely. So we've kicked off with the four colors at the moment. And then the whole concept and um, excitement of the Stanley Quencher is that of um, limited editions, colors, um, seasonal colors, Valentine's Days, Chinese New Year's all of those. So we'll definitely be seeing that within the region. Will we see any local tie-ups for, for colours and artwork? It is in discussion. Right now, the, the biggest issue that Stanley have in, um, internationally is actually just keeping up with current production. Um, but we have had discussions and I do believe that will enter probably um, in the next six to eight months into the region. What could we see? Looking at more like iconic um, outlines of Dubai, for instance, putting something like the Burj Khalif or the Burj Al Arab, etc., and some Arabic uh, writing or transcripts onto that. Okay, so our own special quenches, as it were. Has it been easy to sort of secure the supplies coming out of the US with so much demand to bring in here? So we've actually been in discussions now to bring in the Stanley Quench and actually get it into the region. It's taken us over a year because every time we get into placing our order, they just the, with the demand within the U.S. just keeps on pushing us out. And not just for, for the UAE, actually even for Europe. Um, the team from the EMEA came out to visit us um, uh, eight months ago, and they actually only got their hands on the um, to launch the quencher about six to eight months. And um, yeah, it's just the drive of the craze in the US. Um, US at the moment is just is just pushing back the the, the 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 launch of the quencher. What did you see at the golf? I know you had a stand. That's where producer Isa got her cup. So the golf was very interesting. It was our first interaction with the, the consumer, the end user of the Stanley. And um, just the craze and the excitement around the brand is absolutely amazing to, to witness. 
Um, haven't seen anything quite like it in, in all the years of distribution. Um, and just how, how important it is for the kids to ensure that it's a, that's, that it's a original Stanley. They pick it up and they, they're looking through it. It's got the screw here. It's got this there and, and just the confirmation of that. Have we already got genuine fakes in this market? Plenty. Absolutely. We already getting a lot of, with obviously being the, the, the distributor, we're receiving a lot of uh, repairs for broken mugs. And when we receive them in the hundreds, they are genuine fakes. Some are very, very easy to tell and some not so much. Okay. This is not your uh, your only product. Yes. Um, Stanley makes a wide variety of, of beverage containers. We've been chatting Correct. to people about the rise in the outdoor economy here, hiking and camping becoming a lot more popular with more trails, etc. Yes. What's that meant for your sales? So from Stanley's side, they've taken it, what used to be, well, what is a, over a 110-year-old company that started with, the, they actually invented the, um, the, the thermo flask, so the double-walled vacuum. And um, it's gone from a traditional grandpa's father's type flask into they've they've moved massively into hydration and we're seeing that a lot of the important um, push right now is hydration itself and that's where everyone's um, focus is so when they're going on the trails when they're going camping hiking cold water hydration or whether it be um, your coffee keeping at the correct temperature that's the big push and that's where we're seeing the the growth is hydration and then sip and go on your coffee um, trigger mugs what kind of growth? Put a put a percentage on it in the last year. So we've been doing, uh, we've been distributing the the Stanley brand in uh, the region now. This is our seventh seventh um, year, and um, without fail, we have doubled our numbers uh, year on year. Okay. Well, the adventure quencher. Yes, that's the big one. Um, it's started as a a TikTok trend. How do you forecast the the future sales of something that goes viral quickly and could become yesterday's mug just as quickly so that you don't end up with a, a spare room full of mugs. Yeah, that, that is definitely the, uh, the the trick that we need to um, work within. And um, we, with our team in uh, Europe, they, they've assisted us. They're watching the trends. They're watching what's happening in America. And right now it's still very much on point, as you can see through TikTok, Instagram, and all the other social media platforms. Um, but as soon as we see a slowdown in the U.S. demand, we'll then tap it off and um, and then slow down on the on the actual importing of of the quencher. Thank you very much for joining us. The man with the mugs this morning, Aidan Romanis, managing director of Ramrod General Trading. They are the official distributor of the Stanley Cup. About to put them in stores here, but already selling them online. Thank you very much for your time this morning. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.